Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. I haven't seen any second graders and under. Second graders and under. All right. If you want to be a second grader or under this morning, you're more than welcome, okay? I want, all right, I want you to grab this thing we call the brief or the bulletin or the, you know, this flyer thing that's got announcements in it. I want you to turn to what would be page number three. I want you to look at something real fast. One of the things that we're trying to do on that page is, is we're, we're trying to think about the phrase outside these walls. Outside these walls. And so we're that page every week is, or every two weeks is being changed. And so we're, we're just trying to uh, think through people that aren't like us. Think through um, what it would mean for us to get on mission with God. So, what I want you to see is actually at the bottom of the page. In that blue kind of fun looking box down there, it says, Today, this is, this is up to date 59% of the world is considered unreached. Meaning they have little or no knowledge of Jesus. 59%. So I'm a rounding guy because I'm not really good at math. But that's six out of every ten, okay? So count, count down your pew or your section and go one, two, three, four, five, six out of ten are unreached. They have little to no access to Jesus. 59%. What does that do to you? What does it do to you when you think that six out of every ten don't know Jesus? Six out of every ten. Does that mess with you a little bit? I, I, hope, it, I hope it impacts you when you think about around the world. Now, okay, that's, that's got to be far off distant land, way over in another continent, right? No. No. Go to Seneca High School. It's probably higher, isn't it? Looking at one of our high school teachers. You don't have to go very far out of Oak or in Oconee County, out of the walls of this church to realize that that 6 out of 10 is true. Now, it's not here because they don't have access to the gospel. There is a separate problem that we're going to talk about over the next handful of weeks that that's why this is a problem in Oconee County. The access to the gospel is available in Oconee County. And aren't you thankful that you grew up in a place where you heard the gospel? Most of us heard it at a young age. Isn't that good? You grew up maybe in a family where your mom and daddy, grandmama, somebody told you about Jesus. And that's good news. But that's not the story of the generation that we live among today. That's not it. That's just not the story. And some of us, we have become so accustomed to, to inside the walls that we think little about those outside the walls. And so today I want to look at the church's calling. The church's calling right here in Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to really focus on 
the last few verses, 18 through 20. The last few verses, and it says, I'll read it one more time. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, church folks, you might have known, what is this called? What what do we in the church call this, this charge right here? The Great Commission. The Great Commission. Now, if we were to take a poll right here in, in, in this church, if we were to take a poll of Seneca Baptist members and say, what is the purpose of the church? You're going to get a lot of different answers, right? Then if you go outside the walls of Seneca Baptist, because we talk about what the church is for a good bit, but if you go outside the walls of Seneca Baptist and begin to ask people in the community, what is the church for? You're going to come up with a lot of different answers, aren't you? You might come up with taking care of its membership, and that's important. That's not the ultimate goal of the church. You might have holding worship services, doing what we're doing right now, and that's good, but that's not the ultimate purpose of the church. You might say, well, we meet people's physical and spiritual needs, and we try to do that where we can, Um, specifically the spiritual needs. We try to meet as all that we can, but Jesus gives the answer right here. Right here. Now, imagine, imagine Jesus spent three years. We have so much about his ministry in three years of ministry. Three years of his teaching, his miracles, all that he did, all that he began to do and say in his lifelong ministry. He was on the cross at the climax of his ministry. He died and three days later rose from the dead. And we have this much of his teaching after he rose from the dead, spent 40 days. In Matthew's gospel, there's one chapter devoted to what Jesus wanted to say to his people after he rose from the dead. And it's very short. It's very short. In Mark's gospel, it's Mark chapter 16. Luke just has a little bitty section of, of what the Jesus said to his people after he rose from the dead. And it can be summarized in this, these three verses, 18, 19, and 20. He said, here is your purpose. Here is your purpose. And now who is he talking to? Is he talking to the church? Yes. But he's talking to every individual that makes up the church. Now remember, church is not a building, right? We've often taught our our kids, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up and see all the people, right? And that's really cute, but it's not very accurate, right? So we're not trying to teach our children theology through that, right? Because the church is the people, not the building. So he's speaking to every individual. So have you ever wondered, what is my purpose on earth? Why has God put me where I am? It's this. This great commission is your purpose statement in life. It's your purpose statement. It's not just the church's purpose statement, but each and every one of us have a purpose statement for our life, and it is this great commission. Jesus I mean, all the disciples have now seen him raised from the dead. He's about to ascend to the Father. Don't you think that they're hanging on every word he's saying? They're leaning in extra close. 
I mean, if you saw a guy rise from the dead and he said, I have a message for you, don't you think you'd lean in real tight? And he says, look, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Isn't that good? Not in my message. Let me just tell you, that's good news because there's nothing in your life or in this world that does not happen under, except under his authority. Everything is under his sovereign hand. He is omnipotent. You will never go through something that has not come through the omnipotent, uh, omniscient, loving, gracious, merciful hands of our Heavenly Father. Praise the Lord. Okay. All authority has been given. So, he gives them this great commission. So, what is the great commission? Let's look. Let's open our our Bible. Now, oftentimes, what's the first word that we typically say when we're thinking about the Great Commission? Go. Now, that is not the Great Commission. It's actually not. In this passage, there's one imperative and three verbs to describe that imperative. There's one command, and the command is actually not go. The command is make disciples. Make disciples. That's why I put it up there. The the underlines and the caps are mine. So that make disciples is our command. The command from Jesus, the risen and resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords has given you marching orders and me marching orders and he says make disciples. Now what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. And in the Christian faith, a disciple is a lifelong learner, right? The longer I walk with Jesus, the more I find out that I don't know. Are you with me? The more I dive into the depths of God, the deeper I find that the pool goes. And I can't hold my breath that long. I find out that God's bigger than I thought He was. You know, when I was young, I felt like He fit into my theological boxes. But the longer I walk with Him, guess what? the less I find out that he likes my boxes. Take him out of the box. It's a lifelong learner. So the the actual word disciple, mathetes, is one who follows so closely, someone so closely, that the dust that they leave in their path will get on to you. Think about it that way. You're right on the heels of your teacher, Jesus. You're right on the heels. That's what a disciple is. Question, are you right on the heels of your teacher? You know, we have a, 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 a time, something recorded in the Gospels, where someone followed at a distance. Who was it? Peter. Followed Jesus at a distance. Was it good for Peter to follow Jesus at a distance? No. Because what did he do when he was following Jesus at a distance? Denied him three times. He denied Jesus three times. Now, if listen, when we begin to follow Jesus at a distance, it's easy for us to deny Him. It's easier for us to fall away from Him, to turn against Him, to live in disobedience. But when we're following Him so closely that the dust from His feet is getting on me, that's right. When we, no, we're in a good place. So He says, make disciples. That's what it is. How? These are the three verbs. Three verbs. Go. Baptizing. Teaching. Now, All of those verbs are in the same um, 
uh, the same kind of verb, and they all should be ing verbs. So it should be something like going, baptizing, and teaching. Or the way that it sounds best to me is as you are going. As you are going. Baptizing. How do you make disciples? As you're going. Baptizing. Teaching. Those are how we make disciples. As you're going. Baptizing. Teaching. Are you following along with me, church family? Amen? So, think about this as you're going. As you're going. God has ordained you. Here's what it means. God has ordained you and placed you to be useful to Him right where He has planted you. Where has God planted you? Think about what neighborhood has God planted you in? What job has God planted you in? What circles has God planted you in? Where has He planted you? As you're going means God put you there. It's no accident, and God put you there to make disciples. Think about Philip the Evangelist. Do you remember Acts chapter 8? Philip's walking along the road, um, and, and he's on this road, and he just happens to walk up on a chariot, and he overhappens to overhear this Ethiopian eunuch reading out of the prophet Isaiah, and he happens to walk up just at the right time where he's reading Isaiah 53, and he happens to knock on the chariot door, and he happens that the Ethiopian eunuch asks a question and says, who is the author of this prophet, or who's this prophet talking about? Hey, that seems like a big coincidence, doesn't it? No. If God has given Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth, then He has ordained a life for you that as you're going, you might be like Philip who happen upon people who are searching for truth or in desperate need that you might have an opportunity to speak into their lives the truth of God's Word, that you might be able to point out Jesus to them in the midst of confusion. Now, oftentimes we, we make the, 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 the idea of this going, you got to go. You got to go to a, another culture or another state or another country. You got you to go all the way over there. But Jesus said, wherever you go, go with the intentions of making disciples. Wherever you go. Where are you going this week? You probably have a list of things that you got to do this week. The question is not where are you going, but as you go, do you have the intention that God is sending me to make disciples? Do you see the difference? Oftentimes we think about, well, to go, you got to go to Africa and be with the parishes, or you got to go to the Dominican Republic, or we got to go to the Pacific Northwest, and, or, or wherever there are people who are far from God, you got to cross a boundary to go. No, just as you go, make disciples. Go with that intention. Are you a parent? Go parent your children with the intention of making disciples of your kids and their friends. When their friends spend the night, do all that you can to disciple their friends or the, the, their, your children's friends at the soccer field. Be intentional. Have conversations. Make disciples at the soccer field. PTA, you name it. Are you a grandparent? When your children and your grandchildren come over, or better off, when the, grand, or the children drop off the grandchildren at your house. Pour into them 
intentionally make disciples. Do you have a homeowners association in your neighborhood? Get involved in it. Why? That just drives me crazy. Because God placed you in a neighborhood. He planted you there on purpose. You think it was just because you got a great deal in your, uh, of a house. No. God planted you to be a missionary to make disciples in your HOA. There's a lady in our church who, who every week goes, goes uh, and hangs out with another group of ladies in her neighborhood. And in the summer, they all go swimming, and in the spring and fall and winter, they go hiking, and they just do things together. And, and after about a year of this lady doing these things with them and talking about Jesus in the middle of it, guess what they asked her to do? Would you, would you teach a Bible study? We don't understand the Bible. All of these ladies, she says, all of them are lost. God planted her, and as she's going, she's talking about Jesus, and they ask her to teach a Bible study. Isn't that incredible? Now, many of you, you know that, that I like fishing. And, and I'm a creature of habit, and I go to the same fishing store every time I go fishing. Because there's always a bait that I need or a lure that I need. That's the problem with fishing. You never have enough lures. My dad says, he who dies with the most flies wins. There we go. So I go to the same fishing store and I have struck up a friendship with Azarin, the owner of the store. And we talk about Jesus. And one day we were standing around the counter and he shares his testimony before a group of men standing at the counter. Yesterday morning, I went fishing. Don't ask about how the fishing was. I was fishing, not catching. But at the counter, standing there talking to Azra, and he said, hey, I'm going to call you soon because I'd like to start a Bible study. And I want your help to start a Bible at a fishing store. As you're going, as you're going, make disciples. Make disciples wherever you go, as you go, make disciples. And yes, please go across a culture uh, boundary or, or go outside of your comfort zone. Please go to another country on a mission trip. It will change your life and maybe alter somebody's eternity. Go, but as you're going, be salt, be light, love people well, be the hands and feet of Jesus. But there's an end to it. The end is not love, the end is not salt, the end is not light, the end is not just simply being the hands and feet of Jesus, the end is also baptizing. Baptizing. See, we going, baptizing, and teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Baptizing. This is the end goal. The end goal of you as you're going, being salt, light, all of those things, the end result is that you would declare the gospel of Jesus Christ in a real, profound, clear, powerful, whimsical, simple way. That was a lot of words, wasn't it? And when you do, the goal, the fruit, is baptism. Now, some people will say, you're supposed to preach the gospel all the time. And when necessary, use words. The problem is... If we only preach the gospel with our lives and never with our words, people will be loved and seasoned 
and we will light their way to hell. Because faith comes by and hearing by the word of Christ. God has commissioned you. He has called you. The highest calling on the earth is to share the gospel. To make disciples with the goal of baptizing. Salt and light and love all must end with the gospel being shared. Sometimes it takes salt and light and love to earn a spot to share the gospel. Other times we just need to get our spiritual backbone and share the gospel. You might not have another opportunity with this person. Share the gospel. The spiritual fruit of making disciples is conversion. Where lost people get saved, where blind people see, where dead people come to life, where sick people are healed. That is the spiritual fruit of making disciples. When does discipleship start? Does it start when you're a believer? Can it start before? It can start before. But discipleship should always end up with a person turning from their sin and turning and trusting Christ. Amen? So if our discipleship in our lives is not bringing about the fruit of conversion, we need to lay aside our old methods and we need to go back to the Great Commission which says, as you're going, make disciples, baptizing and teaching. And do you remember the day? Do you remember the day when you heard the gospel and it made sense? Some of you got to reach way back. Reach. Think back to the day where you heard that good news. Think about the burden that was lifted off of you. Think about your sins that were forgiven. You know what had to happen? Somebody had to tell you. Nobody came, I would bet that nobody here came to Jesus through dreams or visions. Every one of us had somebody who loved us well enough to tell us. Do you remember his or her name? Martha Rodenbeck. And don't we want people to experience the life-transforming, sin-crucifying, life-giving power of God? What's Romans 1.16 say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power of God. Now notice, it's not just a message. It's not just a message to be heard. It is a power to be experienced. And the question is not just have you received a message, but have you experienced its power? You will never make a disciple if you are not a disciple of Christ. Teaching. This is a long-term commitment. A long-term commitment. Because he doesn't say teach them the first steps. What does he say? Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's going to take a long time. That's going to take a long time. Uh, uh, 
I've walking with Jesus now 20-something years. You've been walking with Jesus maybe at least that long or longer, and we still feel like a mess sometimes, don't we? Sometimes I feel like I've taken a step forward and two steps backward as a disciple of Jesus. And the longer I walk with him, the further I feel like I am from being having it all together and, 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 and doing all that he wants me to do. It's a lifelong goal to obey all that I've commanded you. So we've got, that's our, that's our job. Is this the church's job? Yes, of course. But it does not relinquish the responsibility from each one of our lives to make disciples. How? By going and baptizing and teaching. Time out, Ryan. You just told me to go baptize people. Are you okay with me baptizing people? Yes, I am. If you living in a lakefront neighborhood results in you building relationships and sharing the gospel, and you go down to the boat launch or beach in your neighborhood and you baptize somebody, I'll be the one on the bank cheering you on. Do you know nowhere in the Bible does it say who can and can't baptize? Jesus said, you do it. I dare you. I dare you. It's the church's job to make disciples, but it is the, it does not relinquish the responsibility from each one of us. As we go, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. The, the church's responsibility we'll look at next week. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a turn, because that's probably not new news to you. And I want to look at four reasons why, the, why we fail. Why we fail the Great Commission. You and me. And so when I say church in just a second, I'm not talking about the building and the pastors. I fail too. But why each individual who makes up the church, why we fail at carrying out the Great Commission. Number one, we fail to believe Jesus' message. We fail to believe Jesus' message. What does Jesus' message say? Well, it says that you and I created in his image, God's image, fell from his grace, departed and rebelled from God. We have inherited a wicked heart and we can't do enough good things or be perfect because the only uh, entrance that we can earn into heaven is through being perfectly good. And so we are wicked in big trouble and our wicked heart bears wicked fruit in our lives. And we, are, we were already on a road to eternal judgment, so we need to be saved by trusting that Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected to save you from God's wrath and into God's kingdom. That's the message of the gospel. It also, the message is that Jesus is the only way. And some of the reason that we have failed the Great Commission is because we have failed to truly grab a hold of the fact that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Ryan, you're just making that up, right? No, in fact, Jesus says it himself, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we can be saved. He's the only way, and, and, and we've, we've, just, we've failed to believe that, or at least failed to act like we believe it. 
we failed to believe that Jesus is coming back again. And that when he comes the second time, it will not be on a mission of mercy, but it will be on a mission of victory. Where he will conquer his enemies once and for all and forever. Do you know that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 that one of the mechanisms for Jesus returning is the gospel being preached to all the ends of the earth? I believe Jesus is coming back. Do you? Because if you did and you really want him to come, you'd be telling people about him. You would make it your mission to go to the places where Jesus has not been named to tell people. We fail to believe that mankind will stand in judgment before God. If we're, if we're a sinner, guess what? Our judgment has already fallen on the back of our Savior. If we've trusted in Jesus, if we're a Christian, our, our judgment has already been meted out, paid in full. It's been dealt out in full measure on the Son, and the wrath of God is averted because we have trusted in what He did for us. But if not, we're going to stand in judgment. Revelation 20, at the great white throne of judgment, and we will be judged if our name's written in the Lamb's book of life and for the deeds that we've done. And it, at that judgment, that judgment is for the wicked, those who have not trusted in Christ, and they will spend an eternity separated from the mercy and grace of God under God's wrath forever. And one of the reasons we fail at the Great Commission is because we fail to believe it. Or at least act like we do. Six out of ten, remember? Six out of ten people you're going to meet today. Maybe outside the church. Six out of ten people that you'll come across this week. Are going to spend an eternity under the wrath of God. We, f we fail to believe that eternity's long and hell's real. We do. We fail to believe that. And there are two ditches. Um, that we fall into when it comes to Jesus' message. Follow me for a second. We either take it too lightly or we, we, take, we think too much of it. What, what do I mean by thinking too much of it? I mean that we get offended by it. We get offended by Jesus'. Oh, he, who is he to say that he's the only way? It's so narrow-minded. Who, who is this guy who, to, to say that the only way of salvation is through him? If God really loves people, doesn't God want everybody to go to heaven? Of course He does. But He's not going to force you into heaven. Well, I'm a good person. I deserve. And we get offended by it because we think too much of His message. Or we think too little of it. And that's probably the majority of us who struggle with the Great Commission. Because we think too little of His message. It's not offensive to us, but we just don't take it seriously. It has no effect on us. So reason number one why we fail, we, we fail because we fail to believe his message. Number two is we fail to have intimacy with Jesus. We fail to have intimacy with Jesus. I want you to go back to verse 8 and 9 real fast. Verse 8, Matthew 28, verse 8 says, So they departed quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy. Fear and great joy, you, that describes a relationship with Christ. The fear of the Lord and great joy in His presence. That's a relationship. And then it says, 
Verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. What, what did we see last week in John chapter 20? That Mary fell on his feet and wrapped up his feet and he said, Don't cling to me yet. I haven't ascended to the Father. We fail at the Great Commission because we fail to have intimacy with Christ. Jesus is your Savior, but he's not your treasure. He is your get-out-of-hell-free card, but He is not the delight of your eyes. You don't wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, feed me with the food that's necessary for me today. Man can't live on bread alone. And so I'm coming to you and I want to eat of your flesh and drink of your blood as I dive into your word. Feed me and nourish me and transform me and change me. I want to know you and I want to walk with you because when we have intimacy with Christ, He begins to change our heart and put His heart in there. That's why Psalm chapter 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. It's because He begins to change your heart. Why? How? Because you're delighting in Him. And we fail the Great Commission because we fail to have intimacy with Jesus. See, we, or three, we fail to obey His command. Simply, we just fail to obey His command couple reasons maybe we don't live life with intentionality how many of your days do you feel like you're just reacting to whatever the day has for you we're just playing the hands or the, the hand of cards that i've been dealt that day and i'm just reacting all day long the day has happened to you but let me tell you listen to me church family god has ordained you and called you and equipped you so that you would happen to the day rather than the day happening to you. Did you hear me? That you would happen to the day. That when you wake up in the morning, like, like someone once said, and your feet hit the floor, that the devil would tremble. Oh no, here he goes again, here she goes again. Look out! All hands on deck, demons! Hell would tremble because your feet have hit the floor and you're on a mission. We fail to live with intentionality. We fail to wake up every morning and say, God, what do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to go today? Who do you want me to talk to today? Ready me for the day. And, and sometimes we fail to obey because we don't believe we have the gift. How many of you have ever felt that way? If you don't want to raise your hand, that's okay. We don't have the gift. Now imagine this. You know who Ray Comfort is? Ray Comfort's a, 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 a guy who's an evangelist on the West Coast. They really need Jesus out there. You know, pray for Ray Comfort. But he loves doing beach evangelism out there. And he goes and he evangelizes. And he, he, he one time said, Ray. Somebody said to him, Ray, you know, I, I just wish I had the gift that you do. And he said, imagine you go to a, the Boston Marathon. And the, the, the runner in first place crosses the finish line in record time. And you walk up to that runner and you say, you have such a gift. What do you think that runner is going to say to you? A gift? What are you talking about? I have worked my tail off. Do you know how many early mornings I've gotten up running and running? Do you know how many cheesecakes that I have not eaten that I really wanted to eat? Do you know how many times I have denied my flesh 
and trained my body so that I could cross that finish line in first place? Do you know how many marathons I ran before I ran this one? Ray Comfort said, it's not about gifting, it's about working hard at it. We don't learn to evangelize or share the gospel with somebody because we're gifted at it necessarily. We get good at it because we try it and we fail at it. And you go, oh, I'm never going to say that again. That didn't work. You work at it. You're diligent at it. Last one. We fail at the Great Commission because we are we fail to be filled with power. We fail to be filled with power. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, go, make disciples, baptizing, teaching, and lo, what? I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Or as Luke says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Why? When? How? When power comes upon you. And we have failed to be filled with power. Think about the greatness of the task before us. Think about the greatness of the task before the, the apostles. Jesus gives this command. And there's a small group of people following Jesus. And there's this whole Jewish world and whole Roman world that is far from him. And, and Jesus says, I want you to tell them. Think about how great the task was and how small the force was. And he says, I'm going to give you a power. You can't do this on your own. You can't accomplish what I'm calling you to in your own strength. You need something from on high. God did not expect his people to accomplish the task in their own strength. And the means by which the, the Great Commission is possible is not your talents, not your abilities, is, is not your obedience, not the clarity by which you share the gospel. The way God accomplishes the Great Commission is by His indwelling Holy Spirit living in you and working through you. The question is, have you received the power? I love this, this passage when the, the, the angel said, go do this. And they were looking for Jesus. And when, when they were obeying Jesus and seeking Jesus... Jesus met them right there. And when you're obeying and when you're seeking Him and when you're obeying Him, His commands, He will meet you right there with all the mercies that you need. Blackaby, and as I close, Blackaby said it like this. He said, you don't need divine power if you're not obeying what God said. It doesn't take a miracle to live in disobedience. That's one of those where we either need to say amen or ouch. It doesn't take a miracle to live in disobedience, but God will resource all of our needs. Church family, lean in close, listen. God will re resource all of our needs. All of our needs when we're living in obedience. All of them. So I have some reflection questions up on the screen. And this is how we'll respond to the Lord. First, are you a disciple of Jesus? Because you can't make them unless you, you is one. 
cannot make disciples unless you are a disciple. Two, what area are you failing in the Great Commission? Remember we talked about those four? To believe His message. To be filled with His power. To obey His commands. Which one are you failing at? To have intimacy with Jesus? Which one are you failing at? What happens in your heart when you think of somebody far from God? What happens when you think of the 59%? If nothing happens, that should be equally as convicting. Who is God prompting you to tell about Jesus? And last, a few weeks ago, Brad Besant, Pastor Brad, filled in for me. And you guys, I have them on my desk. You guys, he asked you, is your answer yes? Would you lay your yes on the altar, your yes on the table? And my question is, is your answer to God still yes? Are you willing to do what he said? No matter what it costs. Would you stand with me? Today there are some of us who need Jesus. Let's bow our head. Let's close our eyes. Just meet with the Lord. Maybe you want to look at the screen and just take a second and ponder those reflection questions. We'll talk more about these on Wednesday night a little bit. Maybe you're in here and, and you, you know that if you were to die today, you are uncertain of your eternal destination. But you've realized that you can be saved because of what Jesus did. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you need to make a profession of faith today and say, I am going to stop trusting me, start trusting Christ. If that's you... Would you just slide your hand up and say, Ryan, I want to meet Jesus today as my Lord and my Savior. Father, as we come to you in this holy moment, we want to be the kind of people that you want us to be. We want to be the church that you want us to be. And we're asking, Lord Jesus, that you would remove this complacency and this apathy from my heart. And you would put in me your heart that came to seek and save that which is lost. Put that in me, in us. Father, to realize that you've not planted us in Oconee County on accident. Help us, Lord. Help us to respond to you in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.